Welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show live from Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Regents Field also happens to be the home of this podcast. Come on down and check out a future episode taping live on Tuesday nights. I'm your host, ESPN reporter, world traveler, and grandma's Michigan and Michael Rothstein, and this is a podcast where we discuss the Detroit Lions, the NFL, and whatever else is going on in the world of football. Before we start, just want to apologize a bit if my voice sounds, well, awful. Dealing with a bit of a cold the past few days, it's wreaked havoc on, well, everything. I'm on the mend, thanks to Airborne, and a tip from pod friend Jane Slater to use Zycam, but hopefully you'll bear with me tonight. Let's be real and let's get into it. The Detroit Lions, as far as 2019 is concerned, is essentially done. Three, six, and one. Four teams in the NFC, including two in the North and two in the West with eight wins, basically ends any realistic or even pie-in-the-sky playoff chances that the Lions might have that would be rooted in any sort of reality whatsoever. And that would even be if Matthew Stafford were definitively playing and healthy. He's not either one of those things. And we covered a bunch of that last week. So you have to start thinking now toward 2020 before Thanksgiving. And yes, that might seem like a difficult thing to accept, but it's also just the truth. There are so many questions before that even gets there. What does Martha Ford do with this current regime? What changes can they make to say that 2020 will be better than 2019? How far away is this roster from truly being able to compete? And is Matt Patricia the coach that can realistically get it there? I won't pretend to know all of these answers right now. I don't think anyone does. Although the way things are trending, you can't feel good about what you've seen from the Lions and Patricia's specialty, especially on defense. You just can't. Not with the way that they've defended basically anybody this year. We'll get into all that in the weeks to come. And starting next week, we'll bring back the mailbag feature so you can ask your own questions. Hashtag Roth Show on Twitter or Instagram. But for now, all we can do is wonder where does this go from here and how much can Detroit really do between now and the end of the season to fix it? The answer, honestly, is not much. The city straight star of the week from last week is quarterback Jeff Driscoll. With a week of full-time number one reps, Driscoll showed that he's capable of being a backup quarterback, throwing for two touchdowns to Marvin Jones and rushing for another. He offers a different dynamic than Matthew Stafford as a runner and has a decent to good arm strength. However long Stafford remains sidelined, this will be Driscoll's chance to do two things. First, show he's at least a capable backup. But if he keeps playing well, there's a chance he could play himself into signing somewhere else next season with at least the chance of competing for a starting quarterback gig because at age 26, he's potentially got a lot of career ahead of him. And the slouch of the week is Matt Patricia. This defense, whether it's him or Paul Pasqualoni calling the plays, is just not good. It gave up 400-plus yards passing to Dak Prescott. Week after week, it is filleted to the liking of the opposing offense, whether it's against the run or the pass. There is no consistency unless you consider being underachieving every week the level of consistency you want. And it doesn't seem to be getting much better at all. The Lions, the Lions get Washington this week, which should help, in theory. But at this point, who the heck knows when it comes to Detroit stopping anyone? Sure, some of that's the fault of the players. But it's also the scheme and the coaching. And that lays at the feet of Detroit's head coach. We'll be back right after this with our guests, Lions Safety Tavon Wilson and ESPN Washington beat writer John Kahn. Stick around. Our first guest tonight is Detroit Lions Safety Tavon Wilson, the versatile defensive back who has emerged as the quiet leader of the Detroit secondary this season. Tavon, welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show. Thanks for coming in. Or coming uh, thanks for going at least. <laughs> so thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, so let's just start here with a couple of football things before we get into some other stuff. This team's struggling right now. I, I think by any metric, people 
uh, players, coaches, everybody realizes that you've been on some really good teams and on some teams that have been like this. What's, what's that like being on a team that's struggling when you've been on good teams in the past? Um, I think, um, I think, you know, for me, I just try to approach my job uh, every day, every week, um, because every week is different and um, every week is a new opportunity. So um, I just try to approach my job that way every week, you know, no matter what the circumstances are. You know, when you're winning a lot of games, you got to move past those games as well because you got to um, get to the next one and make sure you're focusing on that one too. So um, I just try to take the one-week approach and try to uh, just give it my all every week, and, um, and hopefully we can just turn it around. Does it take a toll on a player's psyche, though? I mean, because obviously last year you guys didn't win two games in a row really all year, and then this year you guys lost six or seven as, as you stand now. Like, does that wear on players? Um, I mean, I think it uh, – I mean, for me, you know, I'm a competitor. So, I mean, I'm the ultimate competitor, and I'm always trying to win. Um, I hate losing. Um, I'm a sore loser. So, uh, for me, um, I don't think it uh, – it just want me. It just uh, makes me more hungry. You know, try to do whatever I can possible to give you know, my teammates and um, uh, everyone in this organization a chance to win. How much is that? How much you guys look at where you are at this point in the year? Like, do you pay attention to that? Where things are, like in the big picture of things, when um, you kind of know where you sit. Uh, for me, you know, I just try to stay as narrow focused as possible, and that's I'm um, trying to get a win. You know, what I mean, like obviously. Um, I mean, it's hard that you can't ignore those things, what's going, what's really going on, because those are facts. But at the same time, I'm just trying to uh, scratch and claw and do everything I can to help this team get a win. And this week, the place you're going to get a win is D.C. I'm pretty sure, based off of my research, this is the first time you're playing there in D.C. in the regular season, right? Uh, you're 100% correct. It is. And um, I'm very excited about that. And um, um, it's going to be fun. It'll be, be good to be back home in front of family and friends and um, be able to play a regular season game there. What's that like when you know that that's on the schedule? You know going into the season it's on the schedule. And do you kind of set that early? Do you kind of, before the season, even talk to your family, talk to your friends and say, hey, like, I'm coming home. Like, what, walk me through what that's like for a player when they haven't played at home before and you've been in the league eight years as long as you have. Um, I mean, I played close to home before, though. You know what I mean? I didn't play in Washington. I had opportunity to play in Baltimore a few times in regular season games. So, um, you know, with me being it's my eighth year, you know, I don't uh, – I didn't, you know, call home to you – know, my grandmother is all excited about playing the Redskins and nothing like that. But, you know, now that uh, the opportunity is here and um, I do get opportunity to go out there and play, I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited for our team to be able to go out there and try to get a win. Did you – go to games, whether it was at, back at RFK or at FedEx, like when you were growing up? Yes, my granddad actually walked, uh, worked at FedEx for um, a few years, so we had the opportunity to go um, go to some games, and um, that was always fun. Really? Like, do you remember the first game you went to there? <sighs> I think it was a preseason game. It was a preseason game versus the Steelers. Uh, probably I was about like nine or ten years old, I think. Um, not, I'm not even sure exactly, but that was probably my first game. Like, so when you walk into like – that was a FedEx, obviously, at that point, which is probably dating me more that like when I think nine or ten years old, that's clearly RFK. But right. right. When, you, when you walk into an NFL stadium, assuming that was your first NFL game, what's, what's that like? Are you just in awe at that point? Are you just a kid and like – do you kind of sit there and kind of say, I want to play in here one day? Like, what's, what's that like as, like, nine or ten-year-old table? 
yeah, I was very excited um, to get an opportunity to come to see professional players and, you know, be that close to them, even though I wasn't, you know, uh, I, to be in the same building with them because I, I didn't really have really close seats, actually. So um, to, to uh, have that opportunity to see that at a young age, you know, kind of um, gave me a vision of what I wanted for myself um, as I got older. What did your grandfather do at FedEx? Um, he was like a cook at one, at one of the concession stands. Oh, really? Wow. So, yeah. like, would you, would you go and, like, kind of work behind the scenes there with him, too, like, back in the day? or? Nah. Nah. Okay. He, nah. How long did he do that for? I think it was, like, four or five years. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a while. It was a while. That, man, that – so this, this could really bring, like, jog memories for you all over the place here on Sunday. Oh, for sure. So going – I mean, obviously, going back to D.C. clearly means a lot to you, even beyond just playing at FedEx, right? Like, there is something about going back to play in Washington that's important to you just from when uh, you grew up, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I think, you know, growing up, um, you know, where I grew up in Southeast Washington, D.C., um, you know, the future, you know, didn't look very bright for no one that, you know, that grew up in my neighborhood. So for me to come back and uh, be able to play in the NFL game and, you know, have those same people to root for me, you know, when uh, when I was a younger kid, you know, I'm sure there'd be some people that, uh, you know, just rooting for me and not the Lions, but, um, you know, that's all good. So uh, I have an opportunity to play in front of those people, you know, versus my hometown team. Um, it's something I'm uh, very grateful for and something I'm uh, honored to do. You went to the – we're going to get into some of the pre-high school stuff in a minute, but you went to the same high school as Byron Lefwich. And yes. that obviously many years later, but you were in high school when Byron was playing in the NFL. Like, did that motivate you at all when you see him doing what he's doing to kind yes, of get to where you are? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think my high school, we had a lot of uh, guys that go to, you know, big major one, uh, division one colleges, you know, Byron Leftwich played in the NFL, Orlando Brown went to my high school, um, Joshua Morgan played with for the Redskins and went to Virginia Tech. So, um, you know, all those guys always spent a lot of time around our high school. And um, I was able to touch some of those guys and be able to talk to them. And um, it gave me a lot of perspective as a young kid, uh, you know, what, what I wanted to do with my life. And one more thing before we get into some of the pre-high school stuff. You're going back to your high school this weekend as well. Like, explain a little bit what you're doing there. Um, so this, uh, this coming uh, on Thanksgiving Day, it's uh, the 50th anniversary of the um, Turkey Bowl, of the DCIAA Turkey Bowl. So, you know, this weekend uh, I thought it would be cool to um, do um, a pep rally for each of the teams. You know, my high school is uh, fortunate enough to be in it again. Uh, and then we're playing our rivalry high school um, that we've probably played in like the probably like the last 10 out of 12 championships or something like that. It's, kind of, it's a real uh, crazy rivalry. So this weekend I'll have those two teams together for a pep rally to give away 500 Thanksgiving Day meals um, to people in the community. And um, what, you know, what, what really made me want to do this is because, um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, growing up as a young kid, the Turkey Bowl was something that, you know, we are only thing we really had forward to look at. No, that was our big game, you know what I mean? And I always just wanted to, you know, bring a little more hype around the game and um, bring the kids together and make them, allow them to do something that's way bigger than themselves. When did you first get the idea? I mean, did you kind of get it when you saw where it was on the schedule this year? Or was this something you wanted to do in the past and just life gets in the way? Or 
Um, it's something that, um, you know, me and my wife have been trying to, you know, get back to do something, but we always wanted to wait for the right moment. And, you know, when the schedule came out this year, you know, we just thought, uh, you know, with it being the 50th anniversary of the Turkey Bowl, you know, me playing there a week before Thanksgiving, you know, that, that this was a perfect opportunity um, to do something. Now, let's go back a little bit before high school. I don't think many people know your backstory, at least probably in Detroit, all that much. Your your mom died when you were 12. Your dad was killed when you were one. How do you get, not to get right into it, right? But like, how do you get through that as a kid? I mean, I, I don't think most people couldn't even fathom that. Um, I would say, you know, um, my grandmother did a, you know, an awesome job of doing everything she could to, you know, fill that role of my mom. You know, obviously I didn't get an opportunity to spend much time um, with my dad, but um, my grandmother and grand both of my grandparents did an uh, awesome job of filling that role. And um, I'll say football. You know, I think football was a, you know, a big part of my life and kept me uh, out of a lot of things and got me through a lot of things. So. Um, it's something that, you know, I cherish very dear to my heart. And, um, and that's why I go out there and play the game the way I, uh, I play it. How did that sh- – I mean, when you look back now, you're a dad now. You know, you're a dad of, of a couple kids now, and you, you've been married. How did that shape – when you look at your life now, how did that shape you going through what you went through? Um, I, I understand, you know, what it uh, what it feels like to um, not have your dad there. You know what I mean? And that – um, really motivates me to do everything I can to, to be there every uh, poss- in every possible way for my kids along the way. Um, you know, I think um, they're the, my kids are the most important thing to me, and I want to be there as long as I possibly can. But while I'm here, I want to make sure um, that I affect them in every po- every po- possible way that I can. Possible. You you knew your mom a bit, but obviously not your dad. Like, did you ask a lot of questions about your parents? Kind of once you got to be a teenager, like, did you start kind of saying, "Hey, I want to know this or that about um, them," or how did, how does that go? Because I know for every person who's lost a parent, it's different. Yeah, well, for me, um, well, with my mom, I always ask questions because that's someone um, that I uh, spent a whole lot of time with you know, up until I was twelve. But my dad, honestly, no, not, I didn't ask a whole lot of questions until probably until about a year ago. Um, me and my wife had a talk and, um, you know, we and she kind of uh, helped me come to realization that, you know, maybe if I talk to, you know, my uncle and my grandmother um, about, you know, my dad, maybe it helped some of the things that I was dealing with. So that so you really just started this journey a year ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what if. I don't even know where to, where to ask. Like, what do you, what did you learn? Like, did you learn things about you that you didn't realize? Like, even though you didn't, you never knew them? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I actually did. Um, he was highly competitive like me. He was in a, um, he, he was an amateur boxer. Um, he loved the box. He was competitive, loved all sports, uh, loved the dress. So, um, a lot of those things kind of fall, uh, under some of the things I am. Did he play football as well? Yeah, growing up, but he wasn't he wasn't uh, as big as me. He was only like five eight, so he didn't play in high school or nothing like that. But um, my uncle told me that he was a great athlete in all of the sports that he played. So you're you're in a similar situation to Mike Ford. I, when Mike Ford gets drafted by the Lions, like, do you you guys talk about that at all? I mean, obviously Mike Ford's dad died in a car crash before 
Mike was born. Like, do you, do you as a vet realize that and be like, I can potentially bond with oh, for sure. a player this way? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, um, I think it doesn't start out that way. I think as you come in, you know, you kind of get closer to some guys. And uh, for whatever reasons, you know, the guys that are alike kind of draw to each other. Um, you know, me and Mike, when he first got here, you know, he kind of drawn to me as an uh, older player that he can look to and things like that. So, you know, I know all about his story. It's a unique story, and he knows all about mine. Did he know about your story going in? No, he didn't. He didn't. So he when kinda, uh, he was just kind of opening up to me and letting me know um, uh, what he had been through. So at that point, you kind of say, well, this is a kid. This is a kid I want to mentor. Like, this is a kid I feel like I can connect with because I at least to some extent understand his life story. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I think, you know, it's just two guys that's kind of drawn to each other. I don't look at him as a kid. I think he's a, you know, a grown man, you know, uh, and out here trying to, you know, figure out things for himself. But, you know, if I could be, you know, someone that could be there for him and talk to him. And um, we have a lot of different conversations, whether I'm talking to him or, you know, uh, or he's talking to me, you know what I mean? Yeah. So your grandparents, after your mom passes away, your grandparents, Darlene, Freddie, they raise you. What, what was your relationship like back then? And, how did how did that grow once you start having to live with them? Um, I actually spent a lot of time with my uh, grandparents before my mom passed, so the transition was pretty you know pretty easy. You know, it was just the fact of dealing with the the passing of my mom. But um, my granddad was a big football coach. Uh, you know, growing when I as I was growing up, so you know he rode me really hard as I was playing football. And you know, my grandmother she played flag football and stuff, so she kind of rode me pretty hard about it too. And um, they always, you know, made sure I was doing everything I could possibly do in school and, you know, making sure that I was checking all the right boxes. Wait, your grandmother played flag football? Yeah, she played quarterback. She used to be so embarrassing. She used to come to my games because I played quarterback when I, was, uh, when I first started and I was like nine. She used to come to my games and, like, try to teach me how to throw in front of my friends and my teammates. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> was she – all right, so she played quarterback. Like, how old was she when she played quarterback and, like, was she – was she good? I'm not, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure how old she was, but I'm sure she was good, though. Could she throw? Yeah, yeah she could throw. Could she throw better than you? No, she couldn't throw better than me. Of course not. <laughs> so course is she not. The, I, your grandfather, I, you know, when you've talked about your grandparents in the past, your gra you've said your grandfather's one of the people that taught you football, but did your grandmother actually teach you football as well? Like, was it more both of them than maybe people realize? Yeah. Uh, realistically, yeah, it was. Um, if you if you check back to some of my high school film and uh, and listen to it in the background and hear some of the people talking and yelling, that's my grandmother's telling me, you know, tackle him or do this or do that. So uh, my grandmother was very always into the games, uh, as and my mom was as well when she was alive. So um, I, I had a great support system with my whole family being involved. So do you? I mean, is football always kind of the thing for you and? Part because of that like you had both very rare I think as the family that you have both parents or grandparents sorry that have played football it doesn't happen right like does that did that kind of make this like okay I'm definitely doing this um it wasn't it was kind of just one of those things that you know as I was a young kid in a tough neighborhood you know when I got out there on the football field and um, had an opportunity to play I just kind of got lost in it and um 
that was somewhere that uh, I could really get away from, you know, my circumstances and some of the things that I was going through. So I just really used it as a tool. You know, it started out as, you know, um, you know, basically like my sanctuary, somewhere I can go and, you know, be myself and not have to worry about, you know, everything else that was going on around me. What's the lesson when you look back now, again, like we were talking about, you have, you know, you're married, you have a couple of kids. What's the lesson maybe you got the most from your grandparents? Um, hmm. That's tough because it's a lot, you know what I mean? It's a lot of different lessons. Um, you know, my grandmother, you know, she's a strong woman and, um, you know, the way you know, she take on things and the way she, you know, supports our family in every way she can. You know, I feel like I took that from her, you know, and how, you know, I try to support my family and my wife and everything that we do and um, how, you know, I try to carry that load for our family. You know, and my granddad, you know, no matter whether, you know, lost job or, um, shoot, um, you know, if he was sick or whatever. And now my granddad has passed away as well. He passed away after I got drafted. So like a month after I got drafted. So, um, you know, just to be able to go through those things. And um, I think all of it's built me into who I am today. What would, what did that mean to you? Because I've read some stuff about what draft day was like for you. We'll get back into this in a little bit, but what did that mean to you? For you, to, for him to you to have him see you get drafted. That's convoluted, but man, that, it was that weekend. It was, it was awesome because you know um, it, I was a surprise second round pick, and no one really knew you know where I was going to go. I was kind of a high riser with um, up the draft boards as far as my pro day and stuff, but we, we not, none of us really knew. But my granddad, uh, I, he called me on the second day. I was out you know, visiting with some kids, signing some autographs and stuff, and he had told me he was like, "Hey, where are you?" And I was like, I'm, uh, I'm down Marshall Heights. I was like, uh, signing some autographs. He was like, get home. He was like, I feel like you're going to get drafted today. So I get home probably like uh, 30 minutes before I get drafted. So I'm just sitting in the house, just watching the TV, not really even paying attention too much because I'm like, he don't know what he's talking about. And then literally 30 minutes later, I get drafted. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, so when you're kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to be a Saturday draft pick, like, do you have a party plan for Saturday that then gets canceled? Like, do you then still have people over? Like, do you? I honestly, I didn't want all that. You know what I mean? I think um, what I've always been is about me and my family and sharing those moments with those people that's important to me. So that was never my plan to have, you know, a big draft day party. Um, it was just more spending that time with, you know, those people that, you know, uh, bent over backwards for me when I needed them to and, those people that supported me when I needed them the most. So what's that when you get the call from New England a half hour after you get home, what's that like in your grandparents' house? Is it jubilation? Is it shock? Is it? It was, it was, um, it was crazy. It was really uh, crazy because, you know, through the process, we felt like um, that I was kind of getting a short end of the stick. I mean, I played it. At Illinois, you know, I was a four-year starter, um, played multiple positions, and I didn't get invited to the combine. So um, we kind of just kind of took that, you know, that um, underdog mentality. That uh, so the your draft night, like like you said, it was crazy. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, because we kind of felt like you know some of the things uh, 
didn't happen the way that we thought it would. So we kind of just took that underdog mentality and um, just, uh, you know, just worked as hard as I possibly could to try to put myself in the best possible position. And um, it, we felt like it worked out. So, okay. So going back to high school, right? Like you're going through high school. What was it like playing in DC during the late 2000s? Because there was a ton of, I don't think people realize how much talent was there then. You're there. Aurelius Ben's there. Vontae Davis is there. I think Vernon Davis was there maybe in the kind of the beginning part of that. Like, how well do you know those guys? What was football like in D.C. at that point? Man, it was crazy. It was an exciting time. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to play against Aurelius Ben, Marvin Austin, um, some of the two of the top players in the country. They, I think they, they were like top ten players in the country. Um, you know, every, every school in the area was sending guys to big-time schools. Vernon was a lot older than me, so he was one of the first guys to kind of go out and um, go out and, you know, make it to the NFL for him to go number six overall. It kind of gave all of us hope, you know, gave us all of us like, hey, man, you know, that guy's from D.C., Dunbar, you know, a school that we know, um, so we can do it too. You played Dunbar, what, was it two years in a row in the – in the Turkey, or was it in the DC playoffs, or we we played them in the playoffs my my junior year and my my senior year we played them in the Turkey Bowl. So what for to go back to the Turkey Bowl for a second? Explain maybe what it is because I think a lot of people won't get what the Turkey Bowl means to DC. Um, it means everything. You know, that's uh, you know most of the time most uh, families kind of get together that morning, eat breakfast together, and everybody just go over to the game. You know, every it's kind of. Everyone kind of shut the city down to go over there and um, and um, be able to spend time and all the alumni kind of wear their championship jackets and you know it's basically the only thing that's going on on uh, Thanksgiving Day in the whole city. So I know everyone is there. Is that make it now when you play on Thanksgiving every year for the Lions? Like when you come back to to Detroit, do you kind of sit there and say, "Oh, see, this is familiar for me." Like the first game you play in, are you like, "Yeah, this feels like home," or? No, nah, it's a lot different. It's a lot different. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot different. Um, so you go to – so obviously, you, like you said, you go to Illinois. What's that like going from D.C. to Champaign? I, I've been to both places, and really, like, other than going to, like, Iowa and Nebraska, I feel like the culture shock would be huge. Yeah, it was it was definitely a big culture shock because um, you know being from a big city, you know having like downtown and all that stuff, and, you know traffic, uh, and to go to a college town, the only thing that's in the college town is the school and their football team. Um, it was different. It took some time adjusting. You know, when I first got there, um, I didn't want to be there. Uh, probably for like the first six months, I wanted to transfer. And then um, my grandmother stepped in like she always do and uh, told me that I'm gonna stick it out. And she made me stay there. And um, I'm glad she did because um, it, it always taught me a lesson, you know, to kind of stick with what you start with. I end up, going, end up uh, loving Illinois. I always go back there now. I always wear my Illinois gear. Um, it's a big part of who I am and um, what I've become in my life. What did you learn from your time there? Um, I just grew into a, um, a man there. You know what I mean? I learned everything, you know, uh, what I wanted out of life, what was important to me, what wasn't important. Um, uh, learned how to prioritize. I mean, it basically turned me into a man because that was the only first time in my life where I was away from my family and um, they couldn't really make decisions for me. And I was, uh, and I had to make good decisions on my own. 
Did you, so like you say, you're the first six months there, you're thinking you want to transfer the whole time. Like how close were you? Were you kind of like one foot out the door type thing or was it just typical freshman stuff or? Yeah, no, nah, I was ready to go. I was very homesick, like uh, very homesick. Like I, you know, one time I didn't go to class for like in summer school for like two weeks. And then, um, you know, once I started talking to the coaches and stuff, they kind of wheeled me back in and, um, you know, started getting me going in the right direction. What do you think of what's going on in Illinois now? I mean, obviously, Lovey seems like he's got it half turned around. Are we back? No, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, think he's, uh, I think he's doing a great job. I think, you know, this year, you know, watching their football team and to see him grow um, through the course of the season has been amazing. You know, I think, um, you know, I think they've been in every game. You know, it has um, – they've – um, had opportunity to win every game. Sometimes, you know, they kind of blow it at the end and, you know, the score looked a little bad, but lately the ball has been bouncing their way. And every guest I have, we end with a few rapid-fire questions. If you're game, that would be great. And uh, let's roll with it. Uh, you're, so I'm pretty sure I got this right. Your great-great-grandmother, she lived till 112, right? Yes. Yeah, so she lived in D.C., played tambourine and wrote poetry. Yes. Did any of that wear off on you? No. <laughs> At all? No. Like, you can't do any of that? No, I can't do none of that. <laughs> what was it like having her around? Because I don't think any, most people have their great-great-grandparent, gra any great-great-grandparents around for any time that they can remember. And she, she was alive when you got drafted, right? Yes, she was. Uh, it was. It was great. A lot of wisdom. Um, she taught me a whole lot. Um, and things that uh, kind of things to read in people. It was kind of amazing, you know, how she kind of told me to sit back and observe and, you know, uh, told me that, you know, God gave you uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason. You just so you can listen to twice as much as you talk. Did you ask her a lot about history? Because, I mean, she lived through so much of it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did it because I'm not a big history person. <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> do you, like now that you're a little bit older do you kind of kick yourself a little bit because that would have been such an interesting perspective yes yes you do. for sure <laughs> for sure for those going to dc this weekend where's the one place they have to go eat hmm one place you have to go eat hmm i love i love carolina kitchen carolina kitchen in uh in highsville is one of my favorites it kind of got like a soul food kind of spot. They have one that's in um, that's near FedEx, but you don't want that one. You want the one in Highsville. That's that's the Highsville, Maryland. Why the it's one in Highsville? Because that's the better one. They got like their own little menu that you can order fresh food off of. The other one's kind of like more like buffet kind of. You don't want that one. DC being DC, is there a favorite museum or monument for you? Although maybe not being a history person, not so much. Mm, no, nah, not so much. I mean, I always, like, I always take my kids now. You know, like, when we go, I kind of visit all of them now um, just so they can see them. But um, I think when you grow up somewhere, you don't uh, appreciate it as much as everyone else. <laughs> do you appreciate D.C. more now than you did? Yes, I do. Um, because it, I realize how much it's, uh, it's shaped me into, you know, the man that I am today. This is my favorite question, and I try to ask every player that comes on the show what's the worst piece of trash talk you've ever heard? Oh, no, I'd be pretty locked in. Like, I don't be really hearing too much, like, when I'm in the games. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. When I'm out there on the field, you know, none of that, I don't really hear too much. I'm so focused on what I'm trying to do and, 
you know, trying to win. Like, I don't even hear none of that. Like, not even in high school? Uh, nah. Well, D.C. high school, well, Marvin Austin used to can talk. He talked a whole lot. He used to show up to all of our basketball games uh, in the offseason because they won a championship uh, one year and uh, talk trash to us every basketball game for the whole basketball season. Was he playing he just, or would he just sit no, in the stands? No, he was just sitting in the stands. He'll wear his championship jacket there and he'll just talk the whole time. What would he say? Do you remember? Was, no, because they beat us pretty bad that year. So I think they, they was beating us like 30 to nothing and they ended up beating us like 50 to 30 or something like that. So he just come over there to rub in the game and um, and we and just talk about how, uh, you know, they wouldn't even have a shot and all that stuff. So it was all, all cool and fun. It was <laughs> and lastly, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten from anyone? I know we've talked a bit about advice and, and what you've learned throughout the show, but like, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten from anyone? Um, that's hard, man. I got a lot of advice. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got, I got a lot of advice and a lot of people that, um, that's told me a lot of things that, uh, that I feel like that's helped me and build me into, you know, who I am and what I believe in today. Um, Is there one that you pass on to your kids maybe more? Um, nah, I mean, my kids are so young, you know what I mean? Like they don't, you know, they, they kind of follow action, you know what I mean? So I just try to represent, you know, uh, show them, you know, rather than talking a whole lot, you know what I mean? Like, Cause they're, they mean, you know, six year old not gonna sit down and you know understand that you know a big conversation right now. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know, Mike. We, we, let, let's talk. Let me think about that one. Let's talk about that one uh, on Saturday. Yeah, that's fine. Um, the the six year old does he actually understand that you're a football player at this point? Yes, he or? does now. He does now. It's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty cool that both of them do. Um, really? My three year old does as well. And because um, uh, they know about Rory, the, uh, the Lion, and uh, my oldest son, TJ, knows a lot of different players around the league. It's kind of weird. The other day, both of them, um, T when I walked in, TJ asked me, told me I had six tackles. And I, uh, Tyler asked me something. He said, so you did a good job today at work. And it was kind of cool. It was like, wow, these guys are really growing up and understanding, you know, what's going on. Was that important for you? I mean – that they're at the age now well, like whenever you retire that they at least saw you play because I know some guys, you know, by the time they have kids, that doesn't happen. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it's definitely special, uh, for me to be able to, you know, to share that with my wife and my kids, um, to be able to, you know, do this as a family and, you know, to have a family support. Um, I think, you know, that's the ultimate blessing because, you know, to be able to do what we do, um, I don't think uh, no, I'll be able to do it without my wife by my side and you know all that she does for me and all that she uh, does for the boys. Um, and it's been, it's a blast with them at the games, every game and, you know, seeing my, my why every week in the stadium, um, it, it definitely helps me uh, to get through tough times and it helped me to put my best foot forward at, at all times. Tavon, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hopefully it wasn't too painful for you. And no, no, it was good, Mike. It was cool. Yeah, man. I will uh, I'll see you this weekend. And Tavon, Tavon Wilson, going home, playing against Washington on Sunday. Thanks again, man. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
Our next guest is ESPN Washington football reporter John Kime. Read John's stuff on ESPN and check out his podcast, The John Kime Report. John, welcome to the program. All about two losing teams this week. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you? I'm doing okay, although we're both watching some pretty sorry football at the moment, um, which I think we're both kind of used to at this point, huh? Yeah, it's, 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 this is a little bit different. This is setting historical records for the Redskins. So they were at least a 500 team the last four years, and now it's just like now they're the, what, um, the Browns of horrendous right now. Yeah, they, they've been pretty bad. So let's let's just be real and, and let's start here. I've actually got two friends going to the game at FedEx Field this weekend for, I, I mean, I don't know a reason. I think one of them is going to be wearing his, like, turkey hat that I bought him on thank, uh, at the Lions Thanksgiving game last year. Realistically, could they have a whole section to themselves at FedEx Field on Sunday? Like, is it going to be that empty? If they want to sit in the upper deck, then, yeah, they probably could. I mean, it was – it's been like the last couple of years, but this year in particular, um, it's been really bad. Now the saving grace for them this year with the, with the stadium that they, they've already had a home game against the Cowboys. That's always a big draw. A lot of Cowboy fans in the area. They had a home game against the Patriots. Patriots fans outnumbered the Redskins fans. So, but the stadium itself was relatively was fuller, but last week against the Jets, not, not a lot of people there. And, but, you, you know, at least New York is close. I'm trying to think of a, a good reason why this won't look like a fourth preseason game. Yeah, it, it's going to be pretty rough, man. Like, last week in, on Sunday at Ford Field, you could hear Dallas Cowboy fans cheering for the Cowboys, and it felt like a neutral site game, like a bowl game or a road game for the Lions inside Ford Field. In my seven years covering the team, that's really the first time that's ever happened early in a game. Like, it's happened sometimes late in blowouts, but – I was like, what? Wow, this is, yeah. is crazy. So let's ask the obvious question. How did it get so bad in Washington? Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How, how did it get so okay, bad? Sorry, I, I lost you for a minute. Um, yeah, yeah I, you know, I don't know if we have enough time to cover how it got this bad, but in a nutshell, um, the, the fan base has been tired of owner Dan Snyder and President Bruce Allen. So there has been they they feel like there's been a trust broken in um, within the organ you know between the organization and the fans and well that's one thing you look at their history in recent years it's always been um, you know you think you're getting close just like the Lions fans I'm sure you think you're getting close and you're nine and seven you're like well if you make this move and that move you get over the hump and it never happens and then they had a lot of injuries. And they, they, they weren't particularly fond of Jay Gruden for a while. So, you know, um, I think it, it's added up. They, they are upset about the Kirk Cousins situation. At least some, a portion of the fan base was. The other portion was still upset about Robert Griffin III. More were upset about Scott McLuhan getting fired, even if whether or not it was deserved or not. Um, so it's like one thing after another has led to a disintegration of the fan base. You have other teams in town winning. Um, and I just think, you know, the FedEx field experience is not good. They actually still get a decent number of people on the road, despite all this. You know, a lot of Redskins. And FedEx is just a bad place to go to a game. The atmosphere is bad. This is a fan base 
that while it's now a long time since they've had their success, there's still a lot of people here who remember what it was like in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s when they were not only were they playing in Super Bowls and then winning some. Wow, it sounds like it's going to be awful on <laughs> Sunday. Let's just let's just be honest. And it's been awful. It's been awful. It's been awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and listen, the Lions are are not a good football team right now, and by any definitive measure. So we could be watching some really bad football on Sunday, John. Which leads me to asking about Dwayne Haskins, and a lot of people around here obviously know him because of Ohio State. But what's the deal with him? Are the skills there? Could this turn into another Josh Rosen, Jimmy Clausen type situation where? The quarterback's thrown into an awful situation as a rookie, gets one year, and then he's benched or gone, which happened to Clawson and basically ruined his career. And we're kind of maybe seeing the same thing with Josh Rosen. Yeah, I, I think with, with Dwayne, the reason why I don't think he'd be gone at, after this year is because the two people who wanted him are Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen. They're the ones who really wanted him at 15. Now, my understanding with the coaching staff is they didn't want him at 15 because they knew it was going to take a long time. They knew it would take that he was far away. And, and there were people there that told me in the spring they would like to see him sit all year, that he needed to sit all year. So that the fact that he's struggling right now is not exactly a revelation or necessarily a major point of concern in, a, in, in that they expected a lot of what's taken place. So I, I think – I don't think that this is a group, especially Alan Snyder, that would want to go admit that maybe it was a mistake if they felt it was. Um, and I think the jury is really, really way off. You know, it's still a long way to go here to determine what he is. But um, so, but if they wanted to do that, I just think if the, the, the facts kind of, or the, the situation kind of points to them not doing something and getting rid of him after one year because of who wanted him in the first place, the, the lack of desire to admit if it was a mistake, um, and the fact that they knew that it would take a long time. I mean, there were people here who thought it might take two or three years before he was really ready to start. That's a long time. So what you do see with him, though, you see, you see the arm talent, um, and you'll see it. There will be occasional flashes where he had a play against the Bills where against um, stiff pressure on an out route to Paul Richardson. It's only like, a, I think it's a 13-yard throw, but it's a really nice play. Poise, gets hit, able to still, not a lot of room to step in the throw, but still is able to transfer his weight to get enough on the throw to make it a nice throw. Last week, he had a play where against some pressure, he was able to step up in the pocket and hits a guy on a 24-yard pass, um, you know, on a, on a deep end. So like, there were, there, you see some flashes of the talent, but you also see, and what you also hear, is that he's still really far away. And you'll see that in maybe like the Jets were doing, look like they were doing a lot of disguises, but they were always getting to the same coverage. And I think they were able to kind of trick him sometimes into, you know, protection calls that, whether it was him or the line or whatever, they were, he was like, they were able to trick the Redskins and do some false protection slides, um, you know, things like that. So there's a long way for him to go. There's an awfully long way for him to go. I think a lot of what they want to do, Mike, is build the foundation to his game. And that means getting him to, you know, realize the approach you need to take as an NFL quarterback. He, only, he just turned 22 with only 14 starts in college. Um, and because this is in Detroit, 
one hell of a relief appearance in his second year in Michigan. Um, but some of those people remember. But so he didn't have a lot of experience. And I think that really shows up as a pocket passer, not really being equipped to handle all these situations just yet. So that's why, like I said, I don't now to the last thing not to, to, to you know keep going on, but the last thing to you know Clawson being ruined, I do wonder about the impact on him with playing too early with the talent that's around him. There's not he's just they're just not equipped to have a good offense with with a rookie quarterback or with a veteran journeyman like Case Keenum who is starting with either one. And so I just think it's hard for him and you have to hope for his sake that this doesn't have some sort of negative impact and that it's only something where he takes a lot of lessons from and realizes how far and what he has, how far he has to go and what he has to do to get the players in the locker room, because obviously most of this coaching staff probably not going to be there in three months, but there's a decent amount of that locker room, even if it's just a third of it, that's going to be around. Like do the players understand that with Haskins or are they still behind it? And, and understanding with it or is there a chance that he loses that because I would imagine if he loses that type of confidence then there is a major problem there there would be and I would say like right now they under listen if this team were not if this team were four and six he's not playing and they understand that they understand he's playing because he's they're one and nine he's a first round pick and he's the guy that they have to see if in the future he's going to be their guy so they understand that aspect of it I think where he would lose them is if he doesn't come in in the off season and show the improvement, let's say in the spring, um, if he doesn't show that he's, you know, the grinder, you know, they, I think they, you know, if you start to see the young guy taking, you know, they all consider him, first of all, let me say this. They, they do like him. They do consider him very talented with, with, as some people there will say with ridiculous upside, but they also know that he's not ready to win now not at the level that they need him to be. And so I think you, you know, if you don't see certain signs improving the spring and the summer, I think that's when you really get some guys really questioning what's going on with him. Um, but for now, they understand where he's at. And I think there are a lot of guys here who are trying to help him and guide him. Guys like an Adrian Peterson, um, they're one of their tackles, Morgan Moses. They're talking to him a lot about things he needs to do. Um, so I think, you know, the more guys get in his ear and kind of direct him, the better off I think he'll be. And then he's got to show that improvement because you know it's, it's, you're not taking the right approach. If, you, if they don't think you're taking the right approach, then that's when they have some issues. So last question, where's the ray of hope for the future here for Washington? Is there one or is this so far off that you can't even see it at this point for where they can get? to the playoffs are respectable in a league based off parity. Is this, is this kind of a Browns a few years ago situation, a, a Lions after 2008 situation in Washington I think, at this point? I think like, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, so I watched some of those, you know, I saw with the Browns a couple of years ago, my family's still there. So you hear about it and you see the rosters. This team is probably, this team is more talented. I mean, you look at their defense, there's no reason this defense shouldn't be better. And, I, you know, you hear that from other people, like when you, you know, hear from scouts or whatever, that they feel like the talent base is there to have a better defense. So I think you can be better. But I think the problem right now, Mike, is when you look at their offense, there's so much they need. They're going to need another tight end. Um, they're going to need, you know, a left tackle to replace Trent Williams. 
Um, they're going to need, uh, they need another receiver. And then they need Dwayne Haskins to, to, to show that he can be the guy moving forward. The, the hope for them is that if Haskins, be, if he plays well, that better down the stretch, and then he looks really good in the spring. If Darius Geis, running back, shows that down the stretch, he's making a lot of plays and he made some against the Jets. That's where you get your hope. But I would say that this is as low as I've seen this franchise since I've covered them, and it's been like 25 years. So it's really hard to see how are they going to get out of this. And I think then it depends, Mike, on who they hire to be the next coach um, and what kind of person is he. He's a guy, you know, I think that's where people might start to get some level of hope that maybe it will get better. And then you get a top three pick. So if you take a Chase Young that can give you an impact player on defense or a Jerry Judy from Alabama, that's where you start to get some. Because there is, there is some young talent on this roster, but you just – you really got – you know how this is. The hope comes from the quarterback as much as anybody and then the head coach, you know. <laughs> And I think that right now there's major questions at both places. So until you get those spots answered, you can't really say why this place should have a lot of hope. Because then you have for the fan base, they want the fan base wants Bruce Allen out of there. This is the guy who's going to pick the next head coach. So do they have trust and faith that he'll make the right call? So there's so much to go before I think you can really say, okay, this is why they should have some hope. There, there's a base of young talent, but there's just like until those, until quarterback and coach, you know, those issues are resolved, it's just really hard to sell them fault, any sort of um, legitimate hope that things will turn around, you know, relatively soon. So uh, one quick thing before we get into rapid fire here and, and, a, and a short answer here, because I think that that's probably all it'll necessitate. As you're talking, all I'm thinking about is Jim Caldwell. And I'm saying that, obviously, having covered him for four years, but if there's one thing Jim Caldwell knows how to do, it's build quarterbacks and make quarterbacks kind of, maybe not right away, but see their eventual potential, whether it's Peyton, whether it's really what he, the job he did with Matthew Stafford. Would they even consider that? Or is Jim Caldwell just kind of too far not, he's been a head coach twice type thing, they don't want to go down that road? Well, I think I, I think it would be hard if they're trying to in, inject some enthusiasm in the fan base. I think that would be a hard road to go down, just because I think that there would be a big yawn. Fair or not, that's how it would be perceived. Right now, oh, I, and I understand that for sure. That's how yeah. it was in Detroit. <laughs> right, and let, and let me say this about Caldwell. Last time they did talk to him, and two, I know him well, who thinks he's he's like a really good leader and all that. So. I don't know, but I don't see that. Like, you have the, like just to sum it up shortly or quickly, um, one agent who represents some coaches told me that this is a job for the daring or the desperate. So you are going to get a guy who maybe is just desperate to get back in or somebody who looks at this and says, I can make it work there. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I think that's the kind of guy they're looking for, but I don't know if, that, if that's what they would want to do to inject some energy into the fan base. And on, with every guest we have, we end with a few rapid-fire questions. If you're game, hopefully you are. Sure. And uh, here we go. For those going to D.C. this weekend – whoops, wrong question. Sorry. Your favorite Ohio State-Michigan memory? 
<laughs> 16 in the last 18 years. How's that? <laughs> By the um, way, my, pro my producer is a giant Michigan fan. He is actually the son of a fairly legendary Michigan quarterback. He has just flipped you the double birds. <laughs> well, that's, that's what an Ohio State player did a couple years ago, and he got a jet. I know. I covered that game. Favorites, one of my favorites was last year because you didn't see that coming, even though I think the Ohio State players saw it coming based on what I heard later, but did not see that coming. I think that's one of my favorites. Most interesting Washington player you've covered? Oh, boy. Um, I think Adrian Peterson's been pretty interesting to cover. Um, he's a, he's, and I say that because he's a very accessible, humble superstar. And I've really gotten, you know, a lot. I've been able to talk to him about a lot of different things as far as his game and all that. And he's always game for things. But I think he's, you know, there, I think from that standpoint, for, because of his status, I find him um, pretty interesting because he, he does open up as far as like his success in the game, um, et cetera. Must eat DC restaurant. Um, God, I don't know. I don't, Mike, I don't go out to eat in DC. So <laughs> I live so far from there. I would say my house, cause I do a hell of a job on the smoker. But is that is that an invite for all the people who are listening to the podcast if they want to drive out to rural Virginia? Just checking. If they want to drive out here and party with the cows, they can do that. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, and I'm I'm trying to think like there there are obviously a lot of good restaurants. I'm just um, um, Capital Steakhouse is really good. I that's a really good place. So that would I'll put that up. And lastly, I think we answered this already, but in three words, what's the mood like around this football team among the fan base in D.C.? Um, in three words or less? Yeah. All right, completely demoralized. That, that's, that's pretty good. Well, hopefully that, John, you are not demoralized. You can follow John Kime on Twitter at John underscore Kime and make sure you check out his podcast, The John Kime Report. If you want... I guess more sobering takes on football in Washington, D.C. For, I mean, but it's not much different here in Detroit. John, thanks for coming on, and I will see you Sunday. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. See you Sunday, man. Take care. Regis Field, Ann Arbor's True Sports Bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to check out some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free ski ball and darts as well. You can record a podcast of your very own here, just like me. Check out RegentsField.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RegentsField. You can read my reporting guest tonight, John Kime on ESPN.com or at John underscore Kime on Twitter. Check out his podcast, The John Kime Report, wherever your podcast listening needs happen to be. You can follow Tavon Wilson on Twitter at Tavon Wilson. You can read me at ESPN.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And you can check out my travel blog complete with gluten-free suggestions in each city at MichaelRothstein.net. Thanks to Regents Field for hosting this podcast. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free skee-ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here too. Check out RegentsField.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regents Field. 
This has been episode seven of the Michael Rothstein Show. Thanks for listening. And since we've been around for a couple of months now, let us know how we're doing. Rate, review, subscribe, leave notes on iTunes or on Google Play. Let us know what you'd like to hear about and who you'd want to hear from. Thanks to my producer, Matt Leach, as always. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you choose to listen to your podcast. I'd love your feedback. See you next week.